0: Hello and welcome to this special episode of the GP Excellence Podcast. This is a recording of a webinar that took place in July 2022. I'm Joanna Bircher, your host today, and I'm a GP in Stalybridge, part of Tameside in Greater Manchester, and I'm the Clinical Director of the GP Excellence Programme. This episode today is about sustainability in healthcare, with particular reference to some of our prescribing habits around inhalers. We really hope that you find the conversation useful and we'd love it if you could share it with your colleagues so as many people can hear it as possible. And remember to follow or subscribe for free through your podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. If you have any further questions about the topics discussed today, you'll find information on our GP Excellence website or via the links on the episode page. My guest today is Dr. David McElvery, who's a GP from Salford and the Greater Manchester Clinical Lead in Primary Care Sustainability. Thank you so much for your time, David, for talking to me. And perhaps you can start by explaining a bit about how you got involved in the work.
1: Yeah. Thanks very much, um, Joanna, for your your welcome. Yeah. So I think like many people, I'm really concerned about the climate and ecological crisis. And I suppose my personal story is that um, I lived in Tanzania in the 90s and um, working at at a rural mission hospital there. And a couple of years, we had the situation where there was either too much rain or too little rain. And so there was a crop failure for the subsistence farming population. So Really, it was quite challenging looking down the barrel of a famine and uh, dealing with that. So after we came back in the early 2000s, we, there was a picture in the newspaper of Mount Kilimanjaro without snow on the top. And, and we were just struck by this thing that if there's no snow on the top of Kilimanjaro, what does that mean for the water in the plains below Kilimanjaro uh, in Nvumi where we used to work, and, and what is the impact of that? and And so you sort of feel that this is a challenge that's growing and all the time we read news about the climate crisis and, and what does it mean for people there, but also our grandchildren and so on in the country. So I think it's, I've been trying to deal with this on a number of levels. I've um, been trying to acknowledge a level of grief about that, about the future and dealing with that psychologically and trying to come up with a new thought about what would the future be? How would we live in the future? but also then thinking about my personal actions, you know, doing stuff like eating less meat and not flying where I can and cycling a lot, and then campaigning at national level. So I've been involved with Doctors for Extinction Rebellion and been out trying to encourage the government to move or banks to shift their funding away from fossil fuels. But what we're talking about today is really the organizational level. And I think this is really critical for us for going forward. It's about how we can work together and sort of amplify our voices and actions and make big changes. So, so I was sort of, you know, invited to apply for this role as, as a greater Manchester clinical lead based on some of the stuff we were doing in Salford, I think. But um, yeah, that's how I got involved. But I, and, and I've got a real passion for it, as you can, as you can imagine. Yeah.
0: And, and so for you, with this um, kind of big role, what would success look like? What would, you know, if we were if we were getting this right or closer, closer to being um, more sustainable, what, what would it look like?
1: So, so Joni, you've probably heard about tipping points in climate change, and tipping points are these, these critical points beyond which you cascade into a different state, if you like. So the loss of the Arctic sea ice might be one of those ones where suddenly things start increasing temperature. But the other thing is this idea of social tipping points. So if we can get enough people really enthused or interested in this, we can tip into a social tipping point where we're actually all engaged in this. So for me, success is we're all being honest, talking about it, working together and really gaining momentum. And that's that's what I think is, is going to be a success story. And it's really an exciting time. We've got the greener NHS coming out with its plan to be net zero by 2040, the first healthcare system in the world to do that. And we've got hospitals and ICSs coming up with their green plans. And this is sort of now gaining momentum. And people on the board of the new ICS are going to have a specific role about greener NHS. So it's gaining traction. Um, so it's really, really great. So I think, so for me, success over the next couple of years anyway is is that we build momentum and we really build that enthusiasm and it's drawing everybody together into this journey.
0: Yeah. And it, I mean, I'm thinking about thank you to the people jo- who joined us listening to this because everybody's so busy at the moment, isn't it? Just delivering the business as usual day job. And it can all feel a little bit overwhelming and um, for, for practices and people who, who work within practices and PCNs, where, you know, where, where, where do they start? Where should we start?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And, and trying to understand it all. We're trying to develop this 10 point plan, which is basically a, a, a sort of a starting place for practices to think about uh, becoming more sustainable. And we're going to publish that on the on the GP Excellence uh, Sustainability website page. But really, you, you won't be surprised to, to know that it starts with talking about it and talking to other people in the practice and just saying, OK, guys, look, let's let's work on this together and and say we're going to declare a climate emergency as a practice. Uh, you could use those words if you like, and then communicate that to your staff, your patients, your landlord, and then working out where you go from there. You know the carbon footprint this is the sort of where the big carbon impacts are in practice show that 50 percent of the carbon footprint of a practice is in prescribing so that's the biggie and inhalers it's 13 so really this is the place to really focus on and other areas are you know the energy use travel procurement and so on so i suppose the practice once you've decided you're going to do it it's then Deciding how to move forward. And maybe it's a case of pulling all your practice team together, having a chat about it, deciding where the energy is and what are the things that are going. You know, if you're about to build a new practice building, clearly you're going to focus on the sustainability of the building. But otherwise, you might decide okay, where can we make a quick win here? And where can we make a uh, you know, a change. Where's the wind blowing?
0: Okay, I really like what you said about kind of go where the energy is and where the, uh, where people feel that like they can make a difference. And I'm and, and thinking about what you said about the prescribing and particularly around inhalers. And I know our uh, we've got a lot of general practice nurses who are really fired up by the environment and want to get things right both for the patients and for, and for the climate. So if they were, you know, if we were to think about the inhaler side of things, can you tell us a little bit more about what that's about? So... Why do inhalers make such a big kind of difference to climate change?
1: <laughs> yeah, so so in, in inhalers is is uh, is thirteen percent of the footprint, carbon footprint of general practice. Uh, But it's not all inhalers. It's particularly the inhalers that have got propellant gases in there, the pressurized inhalers, the ones where you you press a button and the gas escapes from the other end. So that's one style of inhaler. The other style of inhaler is the dry powder one. So they use a a dry powder to help lift the, the drug and get it into the lung as opposed to a propellant gas. But it's those propellant gases that are the problem. They're called hydrofluoroalkanes, um, and they uh, cause real uh, carbon damage. So 96% of the carbon impact of inhaler is due to those propellant gases. So the equivalence they talk about that, you know, if you would consider that it, like driving a car, one inhaler is, is like driving a car for 170 miles, one ventilator inhaler, whereas if you use a dry powder inhaler, it's like driving it four miles. So the, there's a massive difference in terms of the carbon impact. In Greater Manchester, we um, prescribe 300,000 inhalers per month. And that comes out of the equivalent of 4,000 metric tons of, of carbon dioxide. So it's like 4,000 metric tons. Well, what is that? How do we visualize that? And, and if you think of one metric ton being like a hot air balloon, so that means 4,000 hot air balloons over Greater Manchester each month due to inhalers. So it's massive here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's massive. And then the car journey analogy, the difference between the two inhalers, that's, that's a real powerful one for me. That also, I'm just thinking, those of us that have been clinicians for a long time, I wonder whether we all got a bit kind of confused by the whole CFC free thing that went on in the late 90s and early 2000s when the inhalers, we had to change people to CFC free inhalers. And of course, um, Ventolin CFC free was probably what most people then went to, on to use because, for their short acting broncho dilator and and, um, and and I think that there might still be a bit of a mindset about that it's CFC free so it's fine. Have you got any thoughts on
1: that? Yeah, yeah so, uh, so interestingly I've been working with Professor Woodcock at uh, Withenshaw Hospital and he's uh, he in fact was one of the people that worked on the Montreal Protocol which dealt with CFCs particularly around inhalers so uh, he, he's, he's helped us to understand that a bit more. So the CFCs were even worse for the environment particularly around the ozone as well so now we're looking at the, at the hydrofluoroalkanes, and there are different hydrofluoroalkanes that are used. So there's one in symbicort and flutiform MDIs, which are really bad. Uh, so the kilogram equivalent of CO2 for them is about 37. The ventolin, it's about 28. When you get to some other ones like salamol, they're about 10, whereas the dry powder inhaler is 1. So you can see there's a big difference between those. So it's, it's the different kind of gases that are using. And that, to be fair, the, the companies are now trying to develop new propellant gases, which have got an even lower carbon footprint. But those are some way off off yet. And really, they will never be as low as a dry powder inhaler. So we need to get to the level where we're you know, getting down to dry powder inhalers if we can. And 95% of inhalers are prescribed by primary care. So we are the guys. It's on our ballpark. We are the only people who can make this change. Primary care, change of prescribing habits on inhalers. We're the only ones who can tackle this particular slice of the carbon footprint.
0: So how, how should we as kind of practice nurses, GPs and practice pharmacists um, approach kind of um, this change in terms of with our actual patients on the front line who've got asthma? What, what's, what should we
1: do? So one of the key things is that when you look at international data, uh, we find that the asthma mortality rate and care in Britain is no better than in other countries, such as you know some of the Scandinavian countries and, and European countries, and they use a lot less MDI inhalers and indeed um, the SABA inhalers as well. So one of the problems that we've got now is that there's an over reliance on SABA inhalers, so the short-acting beta agonists, which is the which is the reliever kind of inhaler, the blue inhaler. So what happens is I think is with asthma, patient feels a bit wheezy on their chest. They take a puff of the blue inhaler that releases the airways and so they feel better and they feel that that effect very quickly. So they think, oh, this inhaler works. And so they feel better with it. The other kind of inhaler that asthmatics are on are the preventer inhalers or the steroid inhalers that are usually a brown color. They're the ones that actually deal with the inflammation in the airways And really what we need to be doing is to try to deal with those inhalers, that somebody's on that on a regular basis so that they prevent exacerbations. And there's very clear data that if somebody is uh, having a lot of sub-inhalers, the reliever inhalers, they're far more likely to be admitted. In fact, if you're having three or more inhalers, you double your risk of admission. And on the flip side, if you're taking less steroid inhalers, you're more likely to die from asthma. So basically, what we need to be doing is moving our asthma care away from SABA from the blue inhalers onto the preventer inhalers. And this is really the shift that we need to get away, get 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 going on. So what we're really encouraging and trying to trying to think about doing is doing the three R's of reviewing control, finding the people who've got the high uh, reliever inhaler, the blue inhaler usage, and trying to move them onto better control. And then number two is Choosing inhalers that have got that's reducing the carbon. Choosing your inhalers that have got the lowest carbon impact. And then number three, returning spent inhalers to the chemist for safe disposal.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So I've always wondered whether inhalers were recyclable, and um, and I never know really know what to tell my patients about that. Well, what what should patients do when they finish their inhaler?
1: Yeah. So, so in, in a study in Scotland, they, they got a whole bunch of returned inhalers and they they worked out what how much of the gases was still left in the inhalers. And they found that about 25 to 50 percent and indeed some inhalers, it was almost full or when they're tar- at the point of return. So you can imagine if you set, chuck those into the bin and they go, the bin lorry comes along and crushes them and it releases the gas into the environment. It's a no brainer. That's not a great idea. So we need a better way of doing it. At the minute, there are only a couple of pilot projects on recycling inhalers at the minute in the country, and unfortunately not in Greater Manchester. So the best way to deal with these is that they return to the chemist. The chemist puts them in for incineration, and that process uh, destroys the gases. We're really, really hopeful that down the line that that we'll be able to get into, uh, you know, recycling uh, project working. Uh, But that's the status at the minute, because remember, most of of the, the carbon impact is the gases, and we need to incinerate those to get rid of it. And in fact, national guidance now is all spent inhalers should be sent back to the chemist. So encourage your patients, all empty inhalers, send them back to the chemist for disposal. That's
0: really interesting. My mind was thinking about all sorts of ways that maybe we could encourage that because it's you've got so much to remember in a consultation, haven't you? And if you're starting somebody on a new inhaler and checking their inhaler technique and talking to them, doing a as we now do a written action plan and all the different jobs the extra bit of remembering and I I I wondered whether there was a way of I'm sure there is a way of adding it routinely to every prescription for an inhaler and please don't forget to return your used inhaler to the I bet there's lots of different interventions we could test out I think that's really 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 interesting so uh, what uh, do the pharmacists and the hospitals are they all aware that these what needs to happen with inhalers afterwards or are they also telling patients
1: so, so, so we've been we, we've been working in this multidisciplinary team across Greater Manchester to try and come up with this plan, and, and we've been uh, now doing some t- talks in for the community pharmacy group, and uh, last week we were talking at a big meeting at secondary care and trying to get them all engaged. So, so everybody is learning more and more about how to do this. But to be fair, we've got a long way to go, go because over ninety percent of all uh, reliever blue inhalers in Greater Manchester are MDI inhalers, and that's the that's the big problem. Uh, you know, the other preventer inhalers, around 50% are dry powder. So, we, so we're getting, we're better at the, at, the, at the preventer inhalers, but we've really got a long way to go with sub-inhalers and we need to move the goalposts. But yeah, we're, we're tr- trying to bang the drum at all levels and with all the community pharmacists and secondary care. And hopefully we'll see, we'll see change going on there. And,
0: and you'd mention about, um, although the DPI is, is the best, that sometimes a quick a quick switch can be from um, Ventolin or generic salbutamol to something like Salamol because it sounds like the carbon footprint was a lot lower than that. Is that something that's been successful in places?
1: So, so some, some practices have have done this and uh, they've, they've, they've done the switch. Where, so uh, And that's particularly around if you're prescribing uh, not only Ventolin, but if you prescribe generic salbutamol. Because if you prescribe generic salbutamol, the chemist is free to dispense either Ventolin or Salamol or eromir. So the problem there is that um, you need to change it f- from from generic salbutamol to a branded type. Um, I think mostly Ventolin is is cheaper so the chemist would tend to choose uh, Ventolin. So what we need to be doing is prescri- is, is doing that switch. Now the problem, uh, I, I know the practice have done this and if you can imagine if you're cu- if you're changing Ventolin down to Salamol you're effectively more than halving your, your carbon impact. The, my, my slight concern about that is a, you're not dealing with the fact that somebody might be overusing the salbutamol and B, you're not getting the whole way down to doing it. So what might happen is if you switch somebody, they'll get the, they'll think, oh, I've done my bit for the environment, I've changed my inhaler, but actually it's not the full thing. We need to be telling people that the gold standard is dry powder preventer inhaler. That's the gold standard. And possibly moving on to MART therapy, which is this maintenance as reliever therapy, that's what MART is, where you've got a combination of a steroid and a long-acting reliever therapy. And that really is uh, something that we need to be looking into about encouraging practices to take it up. And we're going to be rolling out some training around that for practice nurses in the near future. Just trying to encourage people to take that up because that's a good way patient takes a puff of that. They feel a bit of relief, but also they're getting the preventer in at the same time. So hopefully uh, we can we can see that, yeah. And it's,
0: yeah, it's a single inhaler. Sounds like a no-brainer. And I'm assuming as a dry powder <laughs> inhaler, it's what, you, what you'd need. Now, I, I know most, um, concerning clinicians, but most people who work in health are mostly incentivised by doing the right thing by their patients. And, and many will be incentivised by just trying to um, do something to help prevent climate change. But there are also some financial incentives, aren't there, for um, PCNs particularly, and, and that would you know trickle down to practices. Um, that they will get some extra reward for for achieving some environmental targets related to inhalers. Can you tell us a little bit about those?
1: Yes. So so we've got the Primary Care Network uh, Investment and Impact Fund, the PCNIIF targets. um, And um, uh, there are now uh, uh, four four targets in there and they can be broken down into two groups. So the first group is about reviewing the patient. So as I was mentioning there, it's, it's about finding the, those patients who are not on a regular preventer inhaler. And then the second one is finding the patients who are having six or more SABA inhalers in the year. So it's looking at the percentage of patients who are on this regular co- inhaled corticosteroids and the percentage of patients on six or more SABA inhalers. And so that's about identifying people who are, who are not getting good care. And then the second set of targets are about reducing the, the carbon impact of your inhaler choice. So it's about your sub-inhalers, the mean carbon emissions of your sub-inhaler. In other words, moving from Ventolin to Salamol to dry powder. So that's the mean carbon emissions. And then the other one is around the percentage of your non sub in other words, your preventer inhalers, the percentage of those that are, that are MDIs. So it's trying to get off the MDIs onto dry powder. So you can think of it in those two, two groups. So one is about reviewing the patient in, in terms of finding the people whose care is not good. And then the other one is about looking at the choice of inhalers that you've got. Yeah, and and that's, that's the key thing, because we need to find those people who are overusing this, the, the sub yeah. inhalers and really get that good care.
0: So, so how, how could a PCN get started with this then? What would they, if they, they want to try and achieve the, um, some of these targets and actually get some extra income for the PCN, what, what would be a good starting point?
1: It's working together, isn't it? And coming up with a plan together. Um, and that can be at PCN level. So obviously you can work at, come, come up with a strategy at PCN and get your PCN pharmacist on board. But then even at practice level, you need to cascade the information down to everybody. You need to work as a team. You can't have some rogue GP still prescribing Ventolin or, or a pharmacist just keeping reauthorizing lots of salbutamol for somebody when in fact that, that shows that they've got poor, poor control. So we need to work as a team to make sure that we're all prescribing the same stuff. And then I think the next thing is to make sure you've got the up-to-date guidance and the the, uh, Greater Manchester Medical Management Group, the GMMG, have recently updated the asthma guidelines and there are COPD guidelines, both with low carbon inhaler choices on there. So that's that's make sure you've got the right guidelines and got those handy. So then I think the other thing then is to try and look at the data for your practice. And um, uh, unfortunately, the data for asthma care is going to be taken out of GP practices uh, uh, systems through CQRS and that has not been done yet. So we can't provide any data on that. But we have got all the data on prescribing of your choice of inhalers. So on the ones about your your whether your, you're your, 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 your choosing the right kind of inhalers, we've got that. And it, on the GM Tableau website, there are uh, some fantastic graphs and everything there that you can see about your choice of inhalers. Um, and I'm really pleased with that because you can drill right down. You can see, okay, well, where is my prescribing? Am I prescribing lots of generic subutamol or am I prescribing Ventolin, or what am I prescribing? What's having the impact, and how is my trend going? So, so that's a really worthwhile thing for practices to get on board, and it's it's you. So, a good starting point is for um,
0: PCNs or practice nurses, practice pharmacists, GPs to actually look at where they are at the moment. So, what's their What's the size of the task in terms of ahead of
1: them? Yes, and, and indeed, and, and also to gain encouragement, because if you if you click, it's got the whole of Greater Manchester data there. So you can look at other, other other practices, other areas. You could look at, you know, good examples and you can see in certain areas. So that certain PCNs have been ahead of the game. Uh, I was just noticing that Hayward PCN uh, has been ahead of the game on this and, and they have been switching from Ventolin and and generic salbutamol to Salomon. and if you just look at their graph, they plummets the carbon impact um, as they switch switch those switch that over. So and then and then other other areas like in sulphur, when you look at the preventer inhaler, there's been a more of a steady decrease in the, in the MDI prescribing on preventer inhaler. So there's there's encouragement there as well as looking where you are at, and you can see you can make a difference. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. So we did a similar project in our practice related to Ventolin to salamol, led by our nurse practitioner, and um, with obviously some great successes. But we were getting some feedback from patients that they didn't like the taste, they didn't think it was effective, or and how should clinicians kind of approach those conversations? Do you think?
1: So there was an Asthma UK study of twelve thousand patients, and um, what they found in that study was that eighty five percent of asthma patients. Uh, felt that they should be encouraged to use more environmentally inhal- friendly inhalers. 60% said that they would change for environmental reasons, and 20 more percent extra said that maybe they would. But interestingly, only 35% knew about the environmental impact of inhalers. So I think that that is a huge encouragement that basically most patients are up for it and are willing to change. So that's really encouraging. I sort of think with, with the taste issue, and, and, and I know that the, the Salamol apparently has got a different taste to Ventolin, and, uh, and also some people complain about dry powder inhaler that's the powdery taste in the mouth. Uh, to be honest, I think that a lot of that is down to a poor inhaler technique. So we know that, uh, uh, that an, a pressurized dose inhaler, if you, you know, the gases escape from that at a fast rate, So the best way to use those is through a spacer device so that it doesn't all land at the back of your throat when you inhale it. It's sort of aerosolized and you can breathe it deep into your lungs. Whereas if you just do it in your mouth, a lot of that will end up in your mouth, on your throat, and hence you're aware of the taste. And maybe you're getting more of the dose in your mouth and your throat rather than in your lungs. So actually to, to optimize the drug onto your lungs, dry powder or spacer is the way to go. And maybe the problem is that they're not getting a good technique. Just another aside, we, uh, one of uh, the staff at my practice was uh, saying that she was trying to encourage the patients to move to a dry powder inhaler and they seemed kind of resistant. So she got the in check device out, this device that measures your inspiratory effort, and she got them to do a quick breathe in. And she said, look, you've got a brilliant inspiratory effort. This shows that you'll be better off with a dry powder inhaler. And they were happy to move at that point. So I think uh, <laughs> uh, that's another way of, of encouraging them.
0: Almost like they've won a prize. They've, <laughs> done it. they've done so well, they get to use it. I think that's really, that's fantastic. I, and I, I guess just to um raise your listeners, our project, we did get a little bit of pushback, but actually the vast majority of patients seemed really happy with the change that had been made and didn't... Um, so it was just a, it was a small minority, and some of them have stayed on their Ventolin. Where you know, it's um, there's only so many battles that you can fight, aren't there, <laughs> in a day? So, um, so I mean, actually, yeah, so inhaler sounds like a really good starting point for making our practice and our prescribing more sustainable.
1: Jen, can I just cut back a second before we before we move on? The other resource that I should mention is that. Um, the Greener Practice UK. So, Greener Practice is, is a, a group of practices uh, which, which started in Sheffield, was sort of encouraging, you know, moving to greener, more sustainable primary care. And um, they've been working, so, and, and Greener Practice is now spread across the country. And in fact, we've recently started a group in, in Greater Manchester. But Greener Practice Group have been working with Asthma UK and and, and uh, you know the NHS to come up with some guidelines about this uh, the uh, asthma care, and they've developed a really great toolkit, and so we've we've put that uh, link onto the sustainability page of GP Excellence because the toolkit is absolutely fantastic it's got all sorts of things in there like leaflets it's got explanation videos it's got searches you can do have uh, lots of QI projects you know you can give to a nurse or a trainee or a medical student to to you know do something do a little search find out the patients and or uh, that that they need to, that you know could do with a, a review and so on so i would um, I strongly encourage people to have a look at that and, and show that to the to the practice nurses because that that really is is props the gold standard for that um, And it's all about reviewing your data. So, you know, once once you've done it, is is to come back to it in a couple of months' time in your clinical meeting with your practice nurses. How's it going? Who's had success? What pushback have we had? And so on. And then to review it and keep going, keep encouraging that change.
0: And and it sounds like that some of that data will be on the Tableau. And I know it's also on an amazing website called openprescribing.net, which has all dashboards for every practice um, across England. Um, And they've got a specific section on, on... greener prescribing so if you were doing an action you don't even need to do your own searches and um, within a couple of months you'll be able to see on open prescribing whether you're making a difference and um, I think that's really helpful.
1: Yes yes so I think I think you you, you yeah so that would show you whether you're ma- making a difference in terms of your overall percentage and um, the, the, the open prescribing one doesn't go into the depth of the different kinds of sub-end reliever inhalers that you use. So, so that's what we have tried to add, that nuance in the, in the GM Tableau website. So there's, that's the slight difference there with, with the two. I think there are searches onto like EMIS and so on where you can actually see which patients are on six or more inhalers. So it, it will do searches at that yes. level. So who should you be calling in, that kind of thing?
0: And I think for those practices that subscribe to things like Arden's, They'll be busy developing searches to support the IIF. So um any of the new targets, because I know they're quite difficult to um to get the data, aren't they? Some of those, some of those IIF targets, so they should help people with that. So just thinking about other and um, other aspects of greener practice. So if, if we've got the inhaler stuff sussed and sorted in our um in the future, what, what are the other kinds of things or practices are have been doing at the moment? Because I think there is some Stuff going in GM. That there's a um a group, a group of allies of people who are interested in sustainable primary care. I don't know if you can talk a bit more about that group and what they're up to.
1: Yeah. So so that's that's our greener practice uh, group. So this is a just a informal group of of GPs and practice nurses, anybody in primary care, who, a pharmacist, and so on. So we get together and we share ideas. So we so uh you know whether that's about how you're using your disposable gloves whether that's about uh, you know the inhalers or whatever so you can have an informal discussion and chat and meet up with people who've got a who've got a similar interest so there's there's a link on on the sustainability page to that group and you'd be more than welcome we're always looking for more people uh, to to join that and and keep um, keep that journey going.
0: It just strikes me that um, if you're if you've got a passion for the environment in your practice and you feel a bit like a a lone voice and you you can't you know there's sometimes barriers aren't there for you to actually make change happen when you feel really strongly about something and I just you know wondered about how whether you've got any tips for the people who really want to make change happen how they can overcome those barriers
1: yeah it's a tough one isn't it and uh, I think I think the key thing is 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 going back to that 10 point plan I was mentioning was, was this idea that talk about it because a lot of us uh, maybe are concerned about the environment and then but it actually we're not We're not talking about it and we're not actually thinking what can we do together so we at our practice we we had a whole practice meeting where we invited different all different people along to talk about what things we might change and we had some cracking ideas from from some of the receptionists and some of the admin team as well about you know simple things that we can do so it's running with that energy and and enthusiasm for that people have got and i think then it's then it's looking at other ways that we can maybe a stimulate interest. I understand that in some practices they've done a travel survey and that this is this has really encouraged some discussion about how you and the patients are moving. So I'm trying to work with Transport for Greater Manchester at the minute to come up with a very practice-based, specific uh, t- a toolkit travel survey that we can, you know, it's easy to implement, it's done electronically so you don't have to count all the ticks on boxes, but um, that maybe can help practices open that discussion and talk about things like that and that it's sharing ideas about, uh, you know, insulation or other things. So we're trying to do this project in Salford, where we're trying to look at low energy, low cost energy saving things that we can do. So we're looking at that and seeing what, uh, seeing if we can implement that and then we can roll that out across the the thing. But in the 10 point plan, there's going to be a number of other ideas that we can do. And in fact, there's also a green impact award that if practices are really keen, they can go to this next level, which is a green impact award where you tick off certain levels and you can get a bronze, silver, gold, and then platinum award, or, or I think they call it a carbon award, I forget what it is, but that's going to the next level. But that's that's quite a lot of detailed work. So I think that the, the starting point is really about starting and getting the whole practice to agree and getting the partners or the, or, the, or the leaders in the practice to agree, yes, we're going to do this and we're going to put it onto our meetings agendas and we're going to come back to it time and again. That's absolutely critical. You know? Like you mentioned
0: before, revisit the data, see whether we're making yeah, a
1: difference yeah, and, yeah...
0: yeah.
1: But the inhalers is the big thing because if you if we think if we're gonna be carbon zero by you know twenty fifty, we need to be cutting our emissions seven percent each year. Well, if 13% of our carbon emissions in general practice is inhalers, if we could halve that in the first year, we've hit our target for the first year. So if we keep going in that sort of way, we, could, we can really skip the, get, get things going. Wow, again.
0: that's amazing. You can see that might become harder and harder then to find the, to find the next few percentages. percentages but, yeah, yeah, it's a good place to get started. That's been really, really interesting. So um, before we finish, Dave, have you got anything else to wrap up?
1: Yeah, so, so I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really enthused by the energy that's out there. I, I, you know, a couple of years ago when uh, we were down uh, on the streets of London with Extinction Rebellion, you're talking to people on the streets and you're talking to them and they and, and it was, oh, climate change, oh, God, I don't know much about that. Um, this last year when we were down there, you're talking to people, everybody says, yes, that's important. Well, Well, nearly everybody, but the vast majority of people, they're on the page. This is important. We need to make a change. I think what we need to do now is to sort of say, okay, well, this is, everybody now knows this is so important. Okay, well, let's start doing it. It's all about moving to implementation. We need to be saying, yes, we're going to share this journey together, all of us together, but let's start doing something. Let's start making a change. And the inhalers is the good place to start, but then starting to move forward and, and talking to each other and talking to the conversation. That's that's the way to go. I sort of think about it, It's it's thinking about what, what things you can do, are there barriers that you can drop? But also, if we could, if each of us could bring in seven other people, seven allies, seven other people in the practice or seven other people we know in our community, imagine if we all took seven people, we'd soon, soon have a huge, huge different uh, this, change. The tipping point yeah, you are talking yeah, to about. Well, you've, you've
0: certainly, you've, you've recruited me. <laughs> I'll, I'll be one of your seven. So you've made me feel um, inspired to see what else I can do and to keep working on our inhaler project at our practice and, and um, build on our success at the Salamor to start looking at our um, kind of DPI prescribing, particularly with our preventers. So thank you so much. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Um, and yeah, let's hope it's been useful for everybody listening.
1: Thank you very much, John. All the best.
0: My thanks to David McElvey for his time, and I hope you agree that's been really thought-provoking. You can find out more about David and his work by contacting him on the links on the episode page or checking out our sustainability page on the GP Excellence website. If you found the conversation today useful, please tell your colleagues so as many people as possible can hear what David had to say. If you have any topics you think we should be covering on this podcast, do let us know on the email on the show page. And make sure you follow and subscribe for free so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.